Programming is supported by Topline Construction Firm, your local women-owned roofing contractor based out of Shoreview, Minnesota. Roof replacement, both retail and insurance work. More information at toplineconstructionfirm.com. You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekday mornings at 9 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. This is Flyover 2020, a show about who we are in tumultuous times. On this second day of the new year, we find ourselves in one of the most unpredictable places in the country when it comes to electoral politics. The upper Midwest is brimming with voters who abandoned long-held support for Democrats to vote for Donald Trump in 2016. In fact, of the 100 or so counties in America that flipped from red to blue, 50 of those counties are in Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Illinois. Let me say that again. If Of the 100 or so counties in America that went from red to blue, or blue to red, I should say, blue to red, 50 of those counties are in Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Illinois. So for the next year, Flyover 2020 will investigate how life experience, beliefs about issues, compatibility with the candidates are shaping voters' perceptions about the election. Today, what our guest calls polarization anxiety and how it's affecting the way we think and learn and relate to each other. As anthropologist Jose Santos joins us, I know we'd like to hear from you. Do you find yourself retreating away from discussions about loaded political topics like immigration or race or inequality? Do you find yourself deeply ill at ease if you know there are people present who don't share your views Tell me how that affects the way you see the people who share your town or your city or your community. Are you backing off of discussions in which some learning could take place, some sharing of views, because it just seems like you're not going to break through because you are anxious about those conversations? Talk to me about the way this affects the the way you see people who share your town or your city, or your community. Here's the phone number, 651-227-6000, and on Twitter, at Kerry, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R, hashtag Flyover2020. Jose Santos is an anthropologist and a professor at Metro State University. His paper about polarization anxiety is under review at a higher education journal. He's with me in the studio. As I said, it wouldn't be flyover without Jose Santos on the first day. So welcome. It's really good to have you <laughs> Thank here. Thank you so much, Carrie. It's good to be here. Um, this is a this is a term that you coined. I think we need some context about it. And I know it applies to your experience as a professor and a teacher, but I think it also applies to the broader culture. So how do you think about it? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I started thinking about it a few years ago, even before the election. I was in a classroom and I was I was teaching something on globalization. I had a slide up. 
Um, and we were talking about changes that are going to occur in Minnesota over the next 20 years or so. And a lot of it has to do with racial demographic changes. Um, you know, uh, the white population is going to grow that much in comparison to the population of immigrants and people of color. Um, to job losses, most jobs now are going to require a college degree at least. Um, and then to kind of the continuing trickling out of people from our more rural areas into urban areas. So I've got this slide up on the screen. I'm talking about it. And I look over and I see one of my students who's usually really happy. Uh, it's a woman in her 40s. At Metro State, her students are a little older. Average age is 30. Mm. And I realize I see her face and I see it go into absolute terror and then sadness. And then I saw her choking back tears and I saw her crying. Um, and that started to, to really mess with me because I didn't know quite what to do. Um, I do know like, you know, in a classroom, a professor knows, you know, you don't. You don't point out, hey, you're crying. What's going on? <laughs> um, you know, you just sort of let it go and, and you see what you can do afterwards. And then, you know, I think a year or so after that, the election comes along. And I start hearing in my own classroom from other professors, things getting more tense of actual incidents, of people getting into arguments, of students yelling at each other, at students clamming up. I had students crying uh, the day after the election. Um, and so I wondered, what what's going on? So I did some research. Uh, I compared... Um, stuff from a university here in the Midwest with one in the South. And I was looking at what's, what's going on. And what I can tell is when people walk into a room and they detect that some topic, race, class, gender, politics especially, is going to come up, there is this weird social response um, that I'm calling polarization anxiety. And you're scared of two things. One, the topic. Two, you don't know enough about the other people in the room to know whether or not they're on your side or not. So part of the deal that polarization anxiety comes from is this thing where we've already split the world up into these teams. We're looking for who's on our team and who's on the opposite team. And we're very sensitive to cues on who's with what team, right? And there's research that's been done on that. And and uh, it's it's kind of sad. And how by the way, those cues can come in a lot of different, lot of ways, different ways, right? It's it, it some might, of it's subconscious. Yeah, absolutely. It might be you know a button I'm wearing. Some of it might be. I literally was at a barbecue the other day, and we were talking about what TV shows we watch. And I could see people monitoring responses to like, <laughs> right. you know, who's who's watching The Watchmen, for example. I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. I am, by the way. Yeah. It's great. And, and I could tell just bringing it up because I was, I was in Texas at the time, right? And I could tell bringing it up made one of the other guests uncomfortable, right? He kind of like mumbled something, looked away. There's something about that show. I don't know enough about it that, that had already kind of triggered something political. I know it's political because I heard him mumble something about reparations. He's mm, like, I heard enough yeah. of that. Yeah. And then walked away. Um, so it's happening all over the place. The thing that's scary to me in a classroom is that it kills your ability to learn. You walk in there. I bring up it's the topic of the class, gender, right? Uh, women's salaries aren't as high as men. And that's so triggering for so many people without even realizing it that you'll just clam up or get defensive, Right. And I think that's happening at the national level. I think that's happening all over. You know, I, I hear your description of this and I think in some ways it's like our fight or flight thing kicks in. This is either going to be I'm in a place where I don't have a lot of compatriots. Maybe this conversation is going to come up. I might have to fight it out or Maybe I'm just going to flee. Maybe I'm just right? going to freeze. I think right. freeze is the one that in yeah. the classroom, at least people freeze. Is that what's happening? I, it's, hard, it's hard to judge what's going on when students are silent. Um, but one thing I do know is, that, as I did the research, is 
the realization students, when we're in from kindergarten through 12, we are taught to clam up. We're taught, hey, there's this contentious subject that somebody brought up, one of the students maybe, right? So think of little kids in elementary school. And one of the little kids brings up something like race, right? Uh, you know, my mommy says that um, police officers shoot black men, right? Kids are just going to repeat stuff. And often what teachers will do instead of turn that into a conversation or say, okay, kids, what do we think about this? I don't have the answers, but how do we feel about it? Um, they will try as quickly as possible. They're like, we got to move on, right, before this fight starts. And I think from that early on, yeah, what are you going to expect? By the time people get to college, they're kind of uh, they're a little shell-shocked about yeah. this. Let me grab a call here from Lee in Sioux Falls. Hi, Lee. So you've heard the premise. What do you think? I, dis- I, I disagree with the premise that people are uncomfortable having the conversation as much as I think in many ways it's about people have become resigned to the fact that debate, particularly about the political climate as it stands now, is utterly pointless. Because I feel like people don't go into these debates willing to have their mind changed. It's, okay, you make your point, I make our point, we bash each other over the head, and then it ends with us mad at each other because everybody has become so entrenched in their viewpoint that any discussion about it is just seen as an invitation to fight. That's exactly it. But there will be no learning in that conversation if you make your point and I make mine and we walk away, right? Exactly. Lee, I I love the way you put it um, because this sense of pointlessness, this sense of like, why even try? Why bang my head against a brick wall? Um, Could you talk a little bit about just it's it's so important because if if you've seen this, that means you've got examples. Could you tell us about something you've seen there in Sioux Falls? That kind of so so I, as you probably know, South Dakota is a much more conservative state overall than most states in the country. I'm a little bit more towards the center, and the the problem that I've had is anytime some news that pops up that may not necessarily be in support of a Republican candidate, it's often dismissed as fake news or you know liberal media bias. And then on the other side, there's this idea that. There have been a couple of things that the president has done that I thought were okay, but if I acknowledge that, it's somehow kind of against the cause because I don't support Mm -hmm. him overall. Mm -hmm. And there's just this, just such a huge polarization that there can't be discussion about issues as much as there is overall who stands where. And and here it's more I'm usually more seen as the guy who just hates Donald Trump rather than there are these issues that and the way he deals with things that frustrate me. Yeah. and, And and the frustrating part of that is there will be no real exchange of good good views. Right. There will be no learning happening in that if if you are tagged like that. Exactly. And, And ultimately, it's about. You know, we have limited time and energy that we can expend on a daily basis. Right. And so if I'm going to go into something knowing that it's ultimately a, a pointless exercise, then why why bother? Jose, yeah. what do you think? I, I think, Lee, you're describing something that a lot of us are, are going through. And the thing that I, I think is probably most frustrating is you start feeling more and more pointless about where things are going. And I think on the one hand, I think some people are sort of like, well, politics is going nowhere. It doesn't really matter. Has it affected my life? Maybe not too drastically yet, right? If you're, if you're, if you're living well. 
Um, but at the same time, I think if it has affected you, there's the helplessness of like, I can't do anything about it. People aren't listening to me. I think one of the worst things that this polarization anxiety does is it isolates. Uh, Lee um, sounded like somebody who I just want to be able to have a conversation without worrying about it too much. And it's pointless to even do that. Jose, uh, we have we've had Liliana Mason, the political scientist, on a number of times on the show, and she talks about just what you just said, this political isolation and anxiety and how it creates an excessively emotional reaction, which, again, then builds the anxiety to the point where you're saying it's not even worth it for me to get into the middle of this and have a thoughtful discussion. Here's what she writes about it. The angrier the electorate, the less capable we are of finding common ground on policies or even of treating our opponents like human beings. So you're ratcheting up the anxiety, then you're ratcheting up the fear, then you're ratcheting up the isolation. A and, circular kind of thing. Yeah, and if you think about it, if if you if you say if we were to be talking about I always hate these metaphors, but I'm going to go ahead and use one. If you're talking about like animals, mm -hmm. like a dog, oh, you've made him anxious and angry and you've isolated him, right? You kept this dog in a kennel or, or you know, like in, in one of those puppy mills their whole life and then you let them loose, right? They're not going to get along that well. There's going to be some gnashing of teeth. There's going to be some growling. There's going to be right? There's going to be, oh, that's a bad dog. But what you've got is somebody who's afraid. Um, and I think we're we're basically turning ourselves into these rabid dogs, um, because we're afraid to connect with people. We're afraid to like who's, who's safe and who's not. Um, and I think the other thing is that we're penalizing things. We're penalizing each other socially. You know, some of the research I read, they performed experiments to see if people would recommend different, you know, fake student resumes for scholarships. And what they realized, if there was a hint on the application of the student being partisan, either Republican or Democrat, people of the opposite party would tend to not want to give them the money for the scholarship. Wow. Right? So it's an experiment, right? These aren't real committees. These are just people, you know, randomly selected for trial. So I don't want people to freak out, right? Your, your professionals do, you know, we look at these things very carefully. But the fact that it could happen is, is disturbing. You're listening to the new season of Flyover. We're calling it Flyover 2020. We are zeroing in on this question that we've tackled in our other Flyover seasons – who are we in tumultuous times? And we have laid a unique frame on this this year because we are smack dab in the middle of the flipped counties of the 100 or so counties in America that flipped from blue to red in 2016. 50 of those counties are right here. Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan and Illinois. So today, as we have a conversation with Jose Santos of Metro State with some research on polarization anxiety, we're looking at that and the way that we influence one another, have conversations in our communities about issues that really matter or isolate away from people that we think are never going to get it, don't think what we think and turn away. And I want to know how that affects your community, your own life. And then the community that you're living in, do you find yourself deeply ill at ease if you know that there are people present who don't share your views? What does that do for community cohesion, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your town, your city, your state, the country? Think about that. 651-227-6000, 800-242-2828. 
on Twitter at Carrie NPR, hashtag flyover2020. Here's John who says, I find that after multiple attempts to make my point and including articles or other sources via hyperlinks, I will walk away. I'm all for debates about positions, but please back up what you're saying with an article. A lot of times it just becomes apparent. It's not worth it. Hold that thought, Jose, and let me grab a call here to Samira in Minneapolis. Hey, Samira, hi. Glad you called. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. What are you thinking? Um, I just, Yeah, I just wanted to add that I think a lot of the anxiety comes from the fear of repercussions about what we say. You know, I think in a lot of spaces there's one, quote, right, acceptable answer. Um, and this is from the left and the right. And I think there isn't much, there's not space for diversity of conversation or being wrong. Um, we have such a cancel culture that there's like this fear of saying the wrong thing and just being completely rejected. Oh, Samira, you point out something really, really important. And I love the way you framed it because you're talking about punishment. You're talking about people punishing each other. Um, could you just, it's really important here. Could you give people an idea of what you're talking about? What are people doing to punish each other that you've seen? I think, um, you know, people being fired from their jobs, either, you know, and this isn't left and the right, you know, for whatever political position you have, but, you know, either being fired from your job or, you know, if you want to take a knee, then you lose your job. And, you know, it's, um, there's not a lot of grace or conversation, if there's one thing that you wish people could learn that you think they're not learning about all of this, what would it be, Samira? Um, I don't know. That's a that's a big question. I think um, giving people a little bit more grace, a little bit more leeway and understanding that everyone's kind of at a different place. Um, people can change. And I don't know. I, I'm not really sure. Oh, it's confusing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Samira. So, Jose, what are you hearing in the there are there are consequences that feel even weightier and more dangerous yeah. today. If you come into whatever community with a view that the rest of the community doesn't seem to share, the yeah. consequences seem more freighted to me as as a professor that's terrifying because as much as we're talking about a lot of things that are about opinion and how you feel and stuff like that in the end there are things that are facts that are empirical facts right that there are differences um amongst the races that there are differences between the genders that there is inequality and you can point to these things statistically and the thing I'm afraid of is it means that we can't talk about these things mm -hmm. and we can't right. learn the things that we've already proved to be true, mm -hmm. right? And so that's scary. So Samira, notice, is, is sitting here talking about like, I, I'm a, basically, I'm afraid to open my mouth because somebody's going to hit me, right? It, it's probably not going to be violence, but I'm using metaphor here. Um, but that the, the, the very notion that you can say what you think and feel is going to be penalized, Right. And, and that's a really uncomfortable thought. That's something straight out of like 1984 and totalitarian kind of regimes that you're going to be hurt by other people for simply thinking something. And so you end up being very conscious of who's on whose team. Right. This reminds me of the discussion and the, f the fury, I guess, among some media uh, analysts and journalists about this idea of alternative facts. I mean, it is just yeah. it is just infuriating that I think for a lot of journalists that a fact just simply can't stand as with its own 
weight and power. But what you've just described is why we've let, been led into, I think, a absolutely. I mean, a community of alternative facts. I remember when we in the in the you know in, in education started worrying about alternative facts. And yeah. it's the minute that uh, really um, she said it, it was a uh, who, who was it? It was a uh, Kellyanne, Kellyanne Conway, Conway right? Oh, yeah. um, because some things are facts, some things are true, and the very notion that you can have multiplicity of facts, not perspectives, but of facts is is a scary one. The other thing that I find disturbing is that that means a lot of students are walking into classrooms with incorrect facts, um, and they will refuse to believe real facts that you put in front of them. <laughs> and so, you know, your first instinct is to say, okay, so how do I help people learn how to distinguish fact from non-fact? And even that becomes difficult, because if they've already put you as somebody who's on the other team, mm-hmm. your methods are suspect. Me telling people, okay, how, do you, how can you tell if an article is fake news or not? How can you tell whether or not a claim made on a website is true or not? And then I can walk people through, well, there's ways to kind of figure that out. They're not going to believe me, right? They're going to be like, that's, where the, that's what they want you to think, right? Whatever the professor's saying. But just out of, you know, out of a willingness to help, I will tell you know, the world right now, if, if you've got – I've got two main methods for this. If you see something on the internet and you're not sure if it's true or not, I, have, I call it the rule of three to five. If you cannot find three to five other sources really quickly that corroborate. So you can find news stories from, you know, both Fox News, HuffPost, MSNBC. They're all they all have the news story and you can read all three of them because let's face it. They're really, really short and you can get an idea of, OK, what are, what are they all agreeing on what actually happened? Right. Some incident. I think the other thing that I really like in the rule of three to five is this. You're, you've got a single news story. It's talking about like um, it makes some claim. Right. Fifty uh, percent of people believe this. The majority of people believe that or whatever. If you cannot get to the original documented research within three to five clicks, something's wrong. Good. Something is very, very wrong, right? And it's either shoddy, shoddy journalism, which you don't need to be reading that anyway, or somebody's lying or they're using the made up facts. So So if you can't click real quick and find it. That, then that's the key. I, I don't want listeners to say, I don't have the time to go back to the source material of every... Okay, but as Jose is saying, you see it come through on your Facebook news feed. You can click three times to yeah. figure out if if what... I mean, I'm constantly have people saying, is this true? I saw this on the three clicks, yeah. five clicks. Three to five there. clicks and you're not there, something's up. And this is what it means to be a responsible news consumer, too. Uh, yeah. And yeah. a well-informed one. Okay. Yeah. Let me go back to the phones here to Miles in Minneapolis. Hey, Miles. Hi. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Sure. What do you want to say? Okay. So I am a poor transgender person in what would legally be considered a gay relationship. Mm-hmm. And... It's gotten to a point where I am legitimately afraid to say anything political in any context if I don't know the people I'm already with. And it, I've been a victim of violence because of who I am before. And it sucks because I really enjoy having conversations where we have different viewpoints and we're able to learn from each other. But I just don't feel safe in our current political climate talking to people. You know, Miles, I'm curious about because Jose was saying was giving us an example of kind of coming into a discussion and monitoring the reaction. Do you catch yourself doing that a lot? Yes, I do. Um, and it's I heard about like even coming down to things like TV shows that yeah. people watch. I've, yeah, I 
look for like the most minute details on what someone might say or do or even wear to kind of, I guess, even moderate myself and what I say, whether I respond, how I respond. And generally, I'm someone who has very strong beliefs, but I'm also, I value education above almost everything. So I've always been willing to have those conversations, but now I feel like my own, my even depending on where I am when I'm having that conversation, my physical safety is in danger. Yeah. yeah. I have to say this sounds pretty exhausting, Jose. Yeah, Miles, it's 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 breaking my heart to, to hear you talk, but I think so many people feel the way you do. Um, and, I, and I had two questions for you. And the first is, where do you actually feel safest? And I don't necessarily mean a location, but maybe it's a style of interaction or a group of people. Where do you feel safest? I feel safest when I am in an organized discussion in a classroom. Oh, well, good. <laughs> that just made me really happy. <laughs> well, we must be doing something right. Um, um, but how about this? How do you think, what can we do to make people feel safe? I mean, obviously, we all want to feel safe, and, and we're all going to be scared and anxious. Is there something we can be doing to help other people feel safe so that they know, hey, I might not even agree with you, but you're safe around me? Is there something you do or something that you think can be done with that? I think I think that a, probably a good way to approach it would be to, like, have created safe spaces like that. Like, even if it's just, like, a scheduled, hey, if you want to talk to someone who doesn't have the same viewpoint as mm. you and are willing mm. to listen, good. like, there's this event at the community center that you can come to at, or, like, something like that, because I want to be able to have these conversations, but I'm frankly terrified. Miles, I think you ought to get involved with Better Angels. It's this wonderful group. They're doing exactly what you're talking about, and you would be an important voice and a needed voice in the discussion. Do you know of it? I do not, but I'm writing it down right now. Good. I'll tweet out. I'll tweet out a link to it. Bill Doherty has been on the show many times, and he's uh, involved with this in Minnesota, one of the leaders of it. So you'd be perfect. I'm glad you called. What other? Awesome. What else occurs to you, Jose? To me, um, I I hear again. Yeah, I'm, I'm always thinking as a professor here, but I'm I'm worried that people aren't learning how to have discussions, mm-hmm. and that's more than just a kind of touchy feely thing. You know, one thing I really emphasize in my classes is you may or may not remember the anthropology of this in ten years. Right? It's a general ed cast. You you, you might not remember it. Um, but if you got the practice on how do I talk to people, how do I give a presentation, that will make you a better leader. I always ask my students, hey, have you ever been in a meeting and you know you have an idea but you're kind of anxious to say it, you don't say it. Somebody else raises their hand, says your idea, and everybody's like, my God, that's exactly <laughs> what we needed to hear. Uh-huh. My God. And what held you back was fear. You didn't, you didn't know how to do it. You didn't have any practice with it. You didn't know, how do I introduce this thing? How do I talk around a delicate concept? How do I, how do I deal with people who completely have the opposite view of me? And I can do that in the classroom. I can help people learn how to do that. If what Miles says is accurate, which I believe it is for a lot of people, it means we're not even willing to learn that skill set. And without that skill set, where are you going to find the leaders? Okay, you think of this as a professor. I think of this as a political journalist. And I think these are skills that every informed American should have, because how else are we going to collectively make policy that makes our communities better. Absolutely. I know. They're out there going, we're beyond that. It's we can't. <laughs> no, because communities have to decide together 
on policies that improve the quality of life of the community. And there's no other way to get there than through this, right? Uh, no, no other way to get there in in a fair way. I guess that's because right. Because the unfair way is that's whoever's right. got the most right, power right. just smashes their way through. Right. And if two, if two sides have pretty equal forms of power, it's just going to be an endless fistfight. Jose Santos is with us. He's an anthropologist and a professor at Metro State University. And I think he has done every first show for Flyover that we have had. We are launching the new season of Flyover, calling it Flyover 2020. And we are looking at who we are in our geography, collectively in our communities, who we are as Americans in tumultuous times. And we happen to exist right here in the center of a 50 or so flipped counties where voters decided, having voted for Democrats, having been deep blue for years, to vote for Donald Trump in 2016. It shocked the nation. We want to understand it better. You're going to help us with flyover. So we're going to look at the latest news. And when we come back, continue our conversation to Phil Picardi now. Hi, Phil. Back to our conversation now. Jose Santos with us from Metro State and our first show of the new flyover season. And I'm going to go right back to I I wanted to read a tweet here, Jose, uh, from Rob, who says my mother-in-law started dating a rapid, a rabid conservative. I could have gotten along with him just fine. He made an overbearing point that conservative policies are logical. Now, the only time I deal with them is when he's not present. The loss is unfortunately the grandkids. This can be fixed. How do we do it? (laughs) This can be fixed. How do we do it? Um, I, I think we need to become comfortable with fear. I think we need to become very comfortable with anxiety and fear. Um, if we think of like, what what am I actually terrified about? Uh, I think the worst case scenarios are kind of like what Miles was talking about, where you're literally physically going to get smacked around or hit. Everything short of that um, is not a threat to you physically. And you got to figure out, well, what can I, can I not handle? So, uh, you know, you've got this really conservative in-law now, um, it, what are you, I think, really defining for yourself, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid he's going to say something around your kids that you that you want to teach your kids certain values, something else? Are you afraid he's going to hit somebody? Is he, Are you afraid he's brainwashing mom? I think articulating to yourself, first step, what am I actually afraid of? What am I actually afraid of? Um, and then you realize, oh, I'm afraid I'll be in an uncomfortable situation. And I might have to sit there and listen to him say things that I don't agree with. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I think another thing people are really afraid of is feeling stupid, right? That somebody's trying to make you look stupid. Because I think when you go back to that punishment that we were talking about with Samira earlier, I think one of the ways we punish people is by showing them how stupid we think they are. I mean, th- this is this is provocative. If indeed this this in law said conservative policies are logical, yeah, liberal policies are not. Uh, that's a really there's a way to begin there. Yeah, there's a really constant undertone of that everywhere yeah, because conservatives sure. are going to say they're the logical ones. Liberals right. are going to say they're the logical ones. I, I, you know, I have the advantage. I, I get to I get to ask a lot of questions. So when somebody says something like that, I ask, well, what do you mean? Mm. Yeah. What do you mean? Give an example of what you mean. Um, and then that becomes a starting place for the conversation. Um I think what happens is we hear something like that and we do like what Keller's have been saying is we see a wall. We see an impenetrable wall. And so the conversation's over and we assume, if we take it to what Rob is saying here, um, that means that relationships are over. If the conversation can't go anywhere, that means this relationship is severely limited in where it can go. 
Um, and that's, you know, on the one hand, in the touchy-feely sense, that's really, really sad. Yeah. That's devastating. That's a family. I think in the practical sense, it means that partisanship has won, that this factionalism that we're seeing in American politics has won. And it means it's just going to keep being like this worse and worse and worse. Dr. Porter says, yes, I retreat. Generally, it's because the individuals I know who oppose my views can only speak in stereotypes and have no personal experiences on which to draw and no knowledge of immigration history in America. Maybe applying what you've just said. Give me an example. Yeah, give me an example. And true engaged listening. I know when I say this, true, why should I be listening to people who are stupid and giving me stereotypes? But it's hard to ignore true leaned in listening. Yeah. <laughs> I know um, that's difficult. And, but. and I think the other thing it shows is is our unwillingness to listen. Yeah. It's, it's that we don't want to hear somebody say this. Even if there is uh, something on the other side that we could get to eventually in a conversation, yeah. we're unwilling to, to put forth the effort. Yeah. Here's Jose on Twitter. As I try to reach across to my conservative colleagues, friends, I try to listen first to why they have a perception. Good. He's practicing what we're talking about. Yeah. Is it based on one incident, like one bad order of fries, and now I'll never eat fries again? Or do we try again? I am retweeting that, Jose. Good. To the phones to Kylie in Minneapolis. Kylie, hi. Glad you called. Hi. How are you guys? Doing good. What are you thinking about? Yeah. Yeah. So I work in a small company where um, I'm the only liberal-minded person there. Everyone else is more conservative, Republican. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been there for a few years. And I've kind of always kind of just kept my opinions to myself. I'm just trying to get through the day. And... um, it's pretty clear, I think, now after a few years that we are abused, but we don't really talk about it. And I think it's because we kind of want to respect each other's space and things like that and, and views. But I think that um, it's interesting because I have learned to kind of, one of the things, you know, I think unity and trying to come together now in this society is it's so important to me. I'm like, how do we come back together? And I think having relationships with people, I know these people, you know, I've been with them for years now and I know their families. I know who they are. Good. Now, when things come up like, you know, where something is said in the office or something like that, I kind of, I sit there and I listen and then, um, then kind of like how you guys were talking about Watchmen and these shows and things, I've kind of made some recommendations where I'm like, oh, you should watch this show, or you should check this out. And, and you're trusted, and it. it sounds like. You are, yeah, exactly. and you trust them, and then the people, your colleagues trust you. Right. It's a so good they, place like, for practicing this. Yeah, or they read the book, or they, and then later they come back, like, wow, that was so cool. And, like, and then we end up talking about things in a kind of a different angle. And it's like, I don't know, I don't think that any of these things can be fixed, like these type of, uh, you know, where we're having these conversations people are getting heated i don't think it can be fixed overnight i think it's building relationships right and putting in work that isn't easy yeah you know as i was listening to that kylie i was wondering whether jose again you're an academic and an anthropologist not a political analyst here i do wonder if our long drawn out never-ending campaigns for the house and for presidents basically going on three years contribute to this idea that you have to pick a team and come hell or high water, you're on that team. It's it's beating on a war drum. Yeah. It, it is beating the war drum. It's, it's a ritual act intended to create a solidarity amongst a certain group of people, right? And so it's, it's very much trying to say who's in this, we're all in this together becomes who's in this with me, right? And we're going to beat them. 
we're going to beat them. That, that's, that's really the undertone of all this is if you think of the way um, elections are set up, they're a fight. They are a competition. One guy's going to beat the other guy, right? Um, and they're trying to say, how do we get our team to beat these other people? Because in a lot of cases, the way the campaigns want to separate and label – a lot of us don't live in those kinds of clusters. We we work in the kind of places that Kylie is describing. Yeah. We live in geographical areas where, as as I've said, there's a lot of decision making and difference going on. And absolutely, yeah. people. If you take just you know the views on gun control, right? People's right. views on gun control are actually way more nuanced than than the media would lead us to believe. And politics is acting as though it's a very black and white view on on guns and gun control. Um, whereas if you actually talk to people, you'll realize there's actual nuance out there. But we live in a system that doesn't like that nuance because that means you might hesitate on who you vote for. And they want you to go in one direction or the other. And so I think in many ways, politics requires this black and white view. Politics right now requires this black and white view. So it's feeding us this idea that there is only the black and white. Don't talk to those other people. It is a wall. Vote for me and I can crash through that wall. I can crush the enemy. Literally, I think the idea is here, you, I will crush the enemy for you. Right. Um, and that's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, but that's where we're at. So we need to deal with it. Rico says on Twitter, the political polarization is not unlike religious faith. We, I, I think this is a good comparison. We will not convince each other, but we can coexist. This starts with getting to know each other and understanding each other. And to John uh, listening in St. Joseph. Hi, John. Hi. Yes. Hey, Carrie. Thanks so much for this engaging conversation. Um, just really wanted to commend actually Professor Santos. I, I mean, he's modeling exactly what he believes we should be doing with this follow-up questions um, with the callers. You know, he's digging deeper. Um, he's looking for additional information. Um, and that's, you know, we don't do enough of that, unfortunately, especially with people who have different beliefs than we do. Um, and, and it's so it's so amazing to just kind of see him to listen to this conversation play out and how he is um, really trying to uh, get at some of those opinions and how we formulate those. So kudos to you, Professor Santos. I think you're <laughs> doing you a great so job. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. John. Thank you. John, do you, do you see people trying to do that in St. Joseph there, or do you see the opposite? What, what, what kinds of responses are you seeing people have to each other? You know, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think it's something that we do enough of. And, and you made a, a few comments, one that brought me back to a professor that I had, um, when I was in college, and, and he, he always said, you know, opinions are fair game and people are not. And unfortunately, I think um, with a lot of things, everything has gotten so personal that we can't detach our opinions from those personal aspects of ourselves. Um, you know, we see that at the national level, certainly um, you see it now more at the local level. And, and it's, it's unfortunate because um, we can't have civil discourse when that happens um, because everything is, is taken as an attack. And another thing that you said, too, the same professor said, you know, when everyone's got an opinion and when we don't share those, uh, then we all miss out on learning something it's, you know, unique about that person, where they come from, what their, uh, you know, how they've grown up, what their situation is like. Um, but if we can't do that in, an, in a respectful manner, then we don't gain anything from that. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you. John, I'm really glad you were listening this morning. I want to grab another call here uh, from John in Superior, Wisconsin. Hi, John. It, it sounds like you have been in some family situations where 
you're not quite sure you're interested in trying to enter into some kind of a conversation. You're not sure how to get there. Is that right? Well, yeah, I get, um, I get pummeled by my niece and nephew who are college educated, uh, young kids, you know, that are social justice warriors. So I, and they get so fired up. I just, just disconnect and just watch TV and try to stay out of it. But there is a great opportunity. Yeah, there. John, I I hear you. I, I mean, because I have to deal with college kids too every day, and there's this <laughs> there's this attitude really that people have of I've already got it all figured out and you don't, right? I think that's one of the most damaging things that that college does is that it, it gives some people this sense of entitlement. They got this degree and they think they figured something out. To to me, oh, I think very well put. yeah, very well put. I think to me, real learning is when you've realized man, I've got this degree, and what it taught me is I haven't figured everything all out yet. I really haven't, and, and that's a shame. I, I'd say, you know, when you're dealing with them, um, I found in the, in the face of pride and arrogance, humility seems to work. And humility isn't humiliating yourself. Um, it's the humility of, like, help me understand what you're saying, because it's a little confusing right now. I, I find if I have students slow down, um, because I think part of the things that that people are being taught is to respond so quickly and try and batter you with like, well, I read this thing, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, slow down. Help, help, help me come to the same conclusion you are because uh, I'm not coming to the same conclusion. I'm hearing what you're saying, but it's not convincing me. So help me out. Slow, slow it down. Um, and if they can't slow down, they can't slow down. But at least, you know, you, you, you made the appeal. But yeah, it's, it's, it's rough because you do get these people that are educated, you know, uh, or thinking of themselves as hyper-educated, and they're trying to tell you all this stuff. Um, and it's like, uh, you know, if you're really that educated, then help me figure it out, because you're not, that's not what you're doing. What you're doing is you're kind of sounding like a jerk. Um, yeah, it's a hard thing to a, do. And a point I try to make with them is, I'm a conservative, but I listen to public radio a lot, and I listen to Rush Limbaugh. Ooh, Rush Limbaugh. Right. And so I try to form an opinion off off what I hear from multiple sources and they wouldn't even consider listening to Rush Limbaugh because of course of course you know yeah right right exactly I, I know uh, another thing that I found is useful when you're having these conversations of people really coming at you is literally just saying this is uncomfortable like I, I don't mm, know if you realize right. this but the way you're it's coming good. at me good. is 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 really uncomfortable it doesn't feel like a conversation, right? Uh, yeah, I, I would try that because how old are they? Uh, 27 and 23. Yeah, 20, okay, okay, so we're so young and really young. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for me it's, it's really – it's one of those things like – because I, I get kids like this in the classroom um, and you, you want them to slow down. You want them to learn because I think they're you – know, I think they're learning positions and they're learning narratives and they're learning kind of like, what's the politics of this? I don't know that they're always learning. How do I have a conversation? And that's something I'm trying to teach. Right. Um, so, I mean, I guess we're both doing it because you're going to have to teach them something too. Right. Um, Cause it sounds like they're still kind of young on this. And John, what I would want is, and this is kind of why we focus on this for flyover is that they are learning something from your own experience, your experiences, uh, uh, husband, father, man in this community, business. Per- I mean, there's. It is not just. I learned this position, and I'm holding fast to it. 
I have something else to bring into the conversation. And uh, well, I usually get a response like, "Check your privilege, Uncle Joe," <laughs> and, and it's just, "What does that mean?" <laughs> I think well, it's a fair question. Ask him to to unpack what, that's what does that right, mean? Because that's the thing that somebody says just to shut down the discussion, not to open it up. Yeah. And so. it, it definitely definitely works because I, I just tune out after that. Yeah, John, I, I want to ask you one last thing. So you say you listened to, to the whole spread, Rush Limbaugh, NPR, all that stuff. What is yeah. one thing you wish people would learn? Right, having heard all sides, one thing you wish people would learn that you think they're not learning right now. That that both sides have disinformation, and you should try to form your own opinion by listening to as many sources as possible. I'm going to take that to the classroom. I'm going to say, I talked to a guy and he said this. I'll say, it's not just me saying it, right? Thanks so much, John. John, I'm really glad you called. Keep calling, okay? Thank you. Eric says uh, here, my friend group has a weird version of this. Their personal identity is so wrapped up in being the outsider that they will argue against the group thought and switch sides and since they are arguing to be different, they won't budge. Also, they tend not to realize it. Here's Jeff in Saint, who called in from St. Paul to say it's really hard to argue against belief. What we're coming up against is often logic against belief. You can bring up numbers and facts, but at the end of the day, people might say, well, my religion says differently. So like Lee, I see talking as pointless I've given up on conversation. Well, I hope you'll open the door to it again in 2020. You are needed in the community conversation. Jeff, yeah. Absolutely. All right, let me I want to grab uh Linda in La Crescent, Minnesota here. Hi Linda, wanted to fit you in. Thanks so much for waiting. Well, thank you for taking my call. Um I've been listening and and it's sort of like your thoughts uh, change a little bit as you listen to some of the things that come along. Good. But there's a couple of things that I would point out uh, for myself is the emotion. Um, you know, as a, a family of emotional people in some respects, we tend uh, to not have the best conversations because we uh, our feelings get in the way instead of just listening to the facts. And I find that I've got some very good friends that I've been friends with my whole life in a small town, and I can't seem to have that conversation with them anymore because I can't get out of it and they and and they maybe want to continue to go on and I don't want to you know so all the things your callers are saying I'm saying the same thing but the other thing that I think adds to this as I've listened today is um, as I'm 70 years old and will be 70 I've lived longer than some people I've seen the history and I know the history and I was taught the history of this country and I think we've lost some of that sense of, of looking back in order to go forward mm-hmm. and trying to get along L- Linda I just want how many friends uh, w- what's the size of the group when you get into these conversations and you feel like I got to get out of here what, is well, it... you know, usually the one I'm referring to is usually just the, the two of them, just okay. the two particular people. So, but I've also, I, I will avoid that conversation in any kind of a group setting. So I, it's, you know, and I think that's the sad part today. Is I do don't too. It's two frust- trusted friends, longtime friends. I'm going to ask Jose for for a tech, a method maybe <laughs> to to get beyond this. Yeah, Linda, I heard you say you, you feel like feelings are getting in the way. Um, yeah. Unpack that a little. What do, you, what do you mean that feelings are getting in the way? 
Well, give an example. when I talk about feelings about politics, first of all, I, I have a sense of agitation. This is just me, you know, and frustration because I can't seem to sort things out even for myself. So what I'm left with is what I know from my own life, which is, you know, I was uh, been a Republican most of my life. And my dad always says, you know, a Republican gives a guy a fishing pole so he can fish. The Democrat gives him the fish. So, you see, I come with some preconceived notions about things, too. But I that I know, but I can't sort through today's stuff. Yeah, I I hear you, and and here's what I think. Um, and this is this is a hard way to look at it for a lot of people because I think we often do think feelings get in the way. I, I'm going to offer this idea: your feelings are trying to tell you something. They're trying to tell you, hold on, stop, stop, stop. There's something I need to figure out first before we can go on. That agitation, that frustration, is is a signal that your mind and your body are sending to you that, like you said, that this is hard to sort out. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a counselor or anything like that, but, you know, when you're dealing with your friends, I think it's okay. I think it's actually good to say, wait a minute, I've got these emotions coming up. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, wait a minute, there's, there's something about this relationship that's making me uneasy, right? Just the fact that you guys started talking about this, it's, it's freaking me out. It's making me want to clam up. I'd say that's the beginning of the conversation, not the end of it. It's the beginning of the conversation, not the end. I hope. This is kind of more of that humility that we started out being willing to be a little vulnerable in the discussion, too, right? It's it's not a bad thing to come into it going, this is going to, this could be tough, or I feel uncomfortable here. Yeah. Right? Jose, thank you. Thank you so much. Really great to have you here, as always. Coming up next Thursday on Flyover, we'll talk about the misperceptions, sometimes the stereotypical thinking that contributes to this perceived divide between rural and urban Americans and rural and urban Midwesterners. It's hashtag Flyover 2020 and Flyover next Thursday at 9 a.m. heard a recording of a live radio show from NPR News. You can add your voice to the discussion by calling in at 800-242-2828 or tweeting us at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, NPR. To hear more conversations like this, subscribe to our podcast. And thanks!